Stories are powerful. Powerful. Welcome to the Rise, Recover, Live podcast brought to you by The Phoenix. This is a space where people impacted by substance use can come to share their story of strength and resilience, get open and honest, and inspire hope and build community through shared experience. We'll be talking to people in our community on their own recovery journey and shine a light on the topic of recovery in all its forms. Maybe you'll hear some of your story in theirs. Let's show the world that together we rise, recover, and live. What's up and welcome to another bonus episode of the Rise Recovery Podcast. I am one of your two hosts, Bryce the Third, he, him pronouns. And if you haven't heard any of the other bonus episodes that we've dropped these past couple of weeks, we've been doing live coverage from the Mobilized Recovery Conference this past October. I was there, I had a podcast space and we collected so many crazy, wonderful stories, uh, highs and lows within that podcast room. It was electric and I've compiled these stories to share with you all. And if you don't know about Mobilized Recovery, feel free to look in the podcast description and go to their website. But in short, Mobilized Recovery is just a dope conference. It's also a dope convening. It's also a dope community. Um, there's so many different stories. People who have been impacted by substance use disorder, people who are put, pushing for policy change. I met Macklemore, uh, the, the artist. He's a person who's loud in his recovery and uses his art to be able to push forward in the recovery movement. We had Joseph Green, a profound poet, on last Thursday's bonus episode. And today, we have a guy that I met, Mr. Stancil Tootle, a.k.a. Tootles. And he challenged me. He challenged my perception. He challenged my understanding of uh, recovery. He challenged my privilege and challenged me to look in the mirror and see how privileged I am and how to take into account people who don't have the same access as maybe I inherently have. And you'll soon find out why this was the case for me. I want you to listen to this episode with open ears and an open heart and Consider how after hearing this episode, you can show up better in your community to create a accessible environment for us all. So without further ado, my guy, Stancil Tudo. All right, my friend, who do we have the pleasure of sitting and talking to today? My name is Stancil Tudo, and I'm a person in long-term recovery, and I'm from Bainbridge, Georgia. And as you guys can tell, I am a black but I'm also blind male, 33 years in recovery, and I live in a, and I'm from a rural area. Eh, eh, or Tootle. Right, that's what everybody called me. Okay, all right, Tootle. Well, what brings you to this conference, this uh, Mobilized Recovery 2023? Well, this is my third one, and uh, I have, I've had the privilege of being a presenter at, I was a presenter last year, and I'm a presenter this year. Uh, as I said, I am a blind person in long-term recovery, and uh, um, I, I have, I, I do presentations on the barriers to the barriers to recovery for people who look like me. Uh, not just from a racial standpoint, but also from a disability standpoint. Oh, and I also have a speech problem, so I'm not nervous. I just can't talk. <laughs> no, it's all good, Toodle. So, so what have you found? Because I've never had that experience before. Like, I've never been you. 
And I have been in this recovery space and recovery is still to this day can, can be a, a white dominant space. So like, I know what it's like to be black in recovery. I know what it's like to be young in recovery, but what is it, what is, what is your experience been like with a disability? What, what obstacles have you come across? Well, we can start from the be- beginning of the process of treatment, ac- access to treatment for people with disabilities is not, as the, that trendy word, it's not equal of, across the board. And uh, uh, like my disability is uh, visual, uh, and so m- most most treatment entities do not provide accessible access to much of most of their literature, and uh, I have some peers who are who are either hearing Im- impaired or deaf, and uh, a lot of treatment facilities don't offer ASL or closed captioning to their material. Uh, and where I come from, uh, I have one buddy who is on dialysis and it requires him to have dialysis treatment three times a day. And he was denied going to a treatment center because they said within that 28 days, he would miss too much of their scheduled training. So, uh, and the recovery community presents some of the same ableistic mindset that the general society offers. Uh, and a prime example is we live now in a digital world. And there is a law on the book called Section 508 was that if you receive any type of funding from the government, your digital platform is supposed to be totally accessible. Uh, so like I use a s- s- screen reader. Uh, most of, and in the world we live in, the first introduction that the average person has with any business agency or organization is through the website. But if I were to go to most places' website and I can't read the information that's on their website because it's not compatible with my assistive technology, odds are I'm going to just turn and go someplace else, which is probably back to what I was doing. And I've seen that happen recently. Another prime example was while we were going through COVID, every, most things went, went virtual. Uh, but very few entities that use any of the virtual platforms make a conscious choice to make sure that they turn on the closed captioning, like on Zoom. Zoom gives you the ability to, to use closed captioning. But if you as the facilitator choose not to make the closed captioning available for one of my peers who can't 
Here, what's the point of them even going and trying to per- participate? Mm. But most, you know, but uh, like I said, most people don't even give it no thought, even, even though Zoom has put that option into their, their product. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I think a part of why I can't speak for others, but I know for me, a part of why I wouldn't give it thought uh, without being made aware is because that isn't my experience. And so how, how do you think we can best bring awareness to people who that isn't their experience so that they can create inclusive environments for you and your friends? Well, part of the problem, well, part of the problem, let's go back to Section 508. Most agencies hire and go out and find these experts at writing grants. But within those grants, like if you're getting money from the federal government, it has a space in there where it says that you are supposed to adhere to all ADA compliant laws. But since the general society don't value disabled people in, in, in general, and there's not a whole lot of uh, action being done by the Department of Justice to make sure that entities adhere to the ADA. Uh, people like me have to keep on reminding you all, well, yeah, reminding you all of what you are supposed to be doing, but it bothers my heart when I, when to see this going on from the recovery community and then they turn around and say recovery is for everybody and we love every everybody but i'm a second thought mm. and uh, and uh i honestly i have a hard time when people say things like well we never th- th- we never thought about that mm. but you pay this good money to this grant writer who is supposed to know what's in the document. Hmm. This might be a, a goofy question. I don't know. But like, no I, I, ideally, what, in a perfect world, what would it look like where there's these spaces that are all inclusive? Like, what, what does that look like? And how do we get there? Well, since odds are a lot of my peers won't be able to come to you guys because those spaces are not exclusive accessible. You need, I think, there needs to be more outreach done. And in most cases, like, and we're gonna just use you. Do you do you live in a metro in a metropolitan area? Yeah. So odds are you you come, you run across at least one disabled person per week. But one of the things I tell people is that usually you guys look at us, but you don't see us. Mm. And so since you don't take time to see us in your day-to-day running, you know, or your day-to-day act- activities, we are a second thought. And disabled people are the largest minority group in this country. Mm. And it imp- and disability 
disabilities impact every other, as they say, marginalized group or every other group of, of people there is. So it's not that we don't exist or it's, it's not that people don't see us as much as they just don't. Well, they look at us, but they don't see us and they really don't give us a thought. Or we remind you all of if you live long enough, you're going to join me. Eh. Eh. And so, and so when you got organizations like, like mine, the Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. And we've, we've done, we've taken measure to, to have the closed captioning in our Zoom. We've had some ASL on our platform. But how can we be more inclusive? How can we make sure that you are not a second thought? Have some focus groups. Let's look for some disabled people in recovery. Uh, and and it's and once again, it may it may require outreach to purposely go out looking for those people. I've been in the recovery, like I say, for thirty three years, and yeah. and I've been very active and blessed to participate in a whole lot of recovery spaces. But I can count on my fingers how many disabled people that I have ran uh, across. And when it comes to leadership in all of the different types of recovery organizations other than people with the mental disability, which kind of goes hand in hand with the substance. There aren't many. And so either we don't recover or we don't exist. And since I have recovered, I know we can and do recover if given the proper support and encouraged to participate in the spaces. Eh. Eh. That's a lot to chew on. That's a lot to think about. Uh, and I'm, I'm really, I'm really hoping that more people pay attention to this and that more people become aware. And that not only is that, that, that awareness, I think that's another thing too, that you had said that really stuck out to me. It's like, it's, it's cool that you acknowledge me, but I got to keep reminding you. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Do you know? So I, I, I'm excited to see and live in a world where we don't need a reminder and that you are at the forefront and not a second. Yeah. And another thing I would like to bring up, I do harm reduction work in the rural area. And uh, COVID, uh, during COVID, when there was a shortage on things like the Norcan and the test strips and stuff, my supplier told me that since there was a shortage going on, that they had to start only passing out harm reduction products to the most needy or people that were in the dope trap. A lot of disabled people are prescribed pain meds. Back in 2016, when the FDA started really cracking down on doctors writing prescriptions. 
I, there was a whole lot of people who had their prescription pain meds cut. But since they were from that other group, uh, there was not much talk. There was not much effort put into making sure that those people are given options. So when COVID hit and um, arm reduction services started getting more uh, targeted, so many disabled people that I know, uh, they started seeking street drugs mm. for, for their pain, not so much for the pleasure, but addiction is addiction, whether you do it because of the pain or because of pleasure. And you often hear people talk about over 100,000 people OD'd, but what they don't also tell you is that during the course of the last um, documented year, the CDC said that over 45,000 Medicare recipients under 65 had emergency room visits because of OD. Mm. But there's not really much effort put into making sure that some or rural harm, harm reduction programs try to reach out to people who have mobility issues. Mm. I live in I live in Georgia. One of my dreams is that I want to integrate more interactions be between the recovery community and there are these things called centers for independent living, which is the equivalent in the disability community to what RCOs are in the recovery community, non-residential entities, because there's a whole lot of stigma in the recovery community, but yet there's also a whole lot of stigma in the disability community about recovery. I've been a disability advocate even longer than I've been in recovery. And at most disability conferences that I go to, there are no recovery spaces. There's no documentation at most of those conferences that if if you need some respite, when, well, or if you need some recovery space during this conference, you can find some peace in room such and such during this conference. So. Yeah. It sounded to me like there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. But recovery is good. God knows it's good. But if it wouldn't have been for my advocacy as a disabled person, knowing and being willing to speak up for what I know I need in order for me to be successful at life, I don't think I would be in re recovery now. But I'm also the exception to that rule with my disabled people because, like I said, I've been in, I've been involved in advocacy work as a blind person 
since I was a teenager. Mm. So, and by having two blind parents, you know, I I was taught from day one that life ain't gonna be, ain't gonna be give you nothing. But more importantly, you got to work twice as hard. And if you don't ask for it, don't expect for them to just willingly give it to you. Eh, eh. Oh, wise words. Wise words. So before we get out of here, uh, uh, where can people find you? Where can people follow up with you? Uh, I host the weekly uh, Zoom cast. It's called Tuesdays with Toodle. And uh, we talk about issues that impact the disability community. And that's basically any topic is disability related. Uh, and we have a Facebook page. It's called Tuesdays with Tootle, T-O-O-T-L-E. Uh, and my email address is S-T-O-O-T-L-E at B-A-I-N-C-I-L dot O-R-G. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tootle. Thank you for sitting on this couch and thank you for giving it to us how we need to be be got. Uh, and I and I hope that um I don't know, I hope we were able to live in a world where, like I said, you're not a second thought. Well, if you live long enough, you're gonna be a part of that thought too. But uh that's the beauty of of long-term recovery. Living long enough that you wind up needing some care. Eh. Eh. And you wanna make sure that the care is there when you need it. I hear that. I hear that. Well, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for sitting down with us. All right. All right. So now you're excited. Bryce, Liz, how do I get involved with the Phoenix? Well, my friend, it is super simple. We actually have an app. Head over to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store or look in the show notes of this podcast, wherever you're listening to or watching this podcast and go download the Phoenix app. The Phoenix app makes it so easy to find classes that are near you or to access our virtual class schedule where you can hop on from the comfort of your home. You can also join our groups and have a conversation with someone from the Phoenix community from anywhere in the world. Please make sure that you join the podcast group where you can connect with Bryce and I and other listeners. Everything that you need is in the show notes. You can also head to our website at www.thephoenix.org. And maybe while you're there, you click the volunteer tab and get even more involved.